Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Forever and for Everyone. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, November 22, 2015, the celebration of Christ the King. We're almost there. Just one more week. It's been 28 weeks of so-called ordinary time since the church celebrated Pentecost Sunday on May the 17th, an entire half year. Next Sunday, November 29th, the church's calendar pivots to a new liturgical year with the sacred season of Advent. But not yet. For now, on this last Sunday of the liturgical year, the reading from 2 Samuel 23 records the last words of David. The last words of a king are inherently auspicious. Even today we try to divine some special something from the last words of a dying person, whether it's your mother, your father, or someone famous like Citizen Kane. Does the dying person have a special word for us as they pass from time to eternity? King David's last words in 2 Samuel 23 are presented as an oracle, a song, a poem, or maybe a psalm. He might be living in his last days, but he says that, quote, God has made with me an everlasting covenant. Of course, every king hopes and plans for his progeny to continue his rule. But David's oracle seems to expand the horizon of his legacy beyond his son Solomon. Unlike every other mere mortal, the death of David would not be the end of his kingdom. He says that his kingdom is everlasting and that it would never end. David's dying words echo a promise that he received at the beginning of his reign. Through the prophet Nathan, God gave David a promise in 2 Samuel 7. It's a promise that has reverberated down through Jewish history for 3,000 years. In 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, we read, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This ancient promise along with other similar Hebrew texts, have led many Jews to hope for a Davidic descendant who would deliver Israel, a divinely anointed one, a Messiah, sent to fulfill Jewish destiny. Lila Leah Barner puts it this way, In the Jewish imagination, the Davidic persona and era became the pattern of the Messianic figure and age. The later prophets, such as Amos, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and others, 
embellished and expanded the vision of the Davidic king in the Messianic age to come. And so even today, in the Shemone Israel, the central prayer of the daily Jewish liturgy that's over 2,000 years old, the 15th blessing, the blessing of David asks God to, quote, allow the branch of David your servant to swiftly flourish, and may his horn be exalted through your deliverance. The first followers of the Jewish Jesus were all Jews who remembered him in various ways. Jesus was a healer and a miracle worker, a teacher, a religious renegade who broke purity laws, a prophet who defended the vulnerable and the outcast. He was a shepherd, as we see in the earliest Christian art. They also remembered Jesus as a king. In the first chapter of Mark, the first words of Jesus announce a kingdom. In the Gospel of John for this week, in the last words that he spoke, Jesus admits to Pilate that he's king of the Jews. Matthew is even more specific. Jesus isn't just any king. He has a special lineage. The very first sentence of his Gospel identifies Jesus as the son of David. That language might have mystified the later Gentile believers, but to those first Jewish followers of Jesus, to be called the son of David was a loaded phrase. The title, Son of David, occurs 17 times in the Gospels, beginning with the very first sentence of the New Testament in Matthew 1.1. For Paul, Jesus was, quote, a descendant of David. And for John, he's the root and offspring of David. This title, Son of David, points to more than a genealogical connection. It's a remarkable confession. Jesus is greater than Abraham. He's more than Moses. He's the descendant of David who was sent by God. In apocalyptic dreams and visions, this week's Old Testament reading from Daniel traces the rise and fall of the political kingdoms of his age, Babylon, Persia under Cyrus the Great, Greece under Alexander the Great, and then Rome. But unlike these human kingdoms, Daniel imagines a kingdom that isn't temporarily limited. It's an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and will never be destroyed. And what's unlimited in time is also unlimited in space. This isn't an ethnocentric kingdom that's restricted to one land and one people. The kingdom of God announced by Jesus welcomes, as we read in Revelation, all people, nation, and men of every language to worship what Daniel calls the ruler of the kings of the earth. Instead of exclusion, which is the hallmark of human kingdoms, in God's kingdom there's a radical expansion and inclusion. What's promised in the Davidic deliverer isn't just the restoration of Israel, 
as the disciples understandably but mistakenly thought, but rather the redemption of the world. Nothing that God loves will ever be lost. No evil will endure. All that God has created, he will redeem. The kingdom of God proclaimed by Jesus, the son of David, is forever. And it's for everyone. For books this week, I review a new novel. The author is the Norwegian Per Pedersen. The title, I Refuse, a novel. It's translated from the Norwegian by Don Bartlett. Minneapolis Grey Wolf. The English translation was in 2014. This book is 282 pages. Per Pedersen's latest novel is a melancholic stream of consciousness that's set in contemporary rural Norway. The story opens with a chance encounter between the two best friends who haven't seen each other in 35 years. That leads to flashbacks told by the different protagonists in both the first and third person about their respective childhoods and how life has, cha how life has shaped them since then. Jim's mother was a deeply Christian single mother. He never knew his father. But for his buddy Tommy, it was the reverse. Tommy knew his father all too well. He was violently abusive, while his mother was invisible, having left the family early on. By adulthood, Tommy is driving a new Mercedes, while Jim's life is at half-mast. He's divorced, popping pills, attempted suicide, and queuing up at the Social Security office. Even the Army refused to take him. The dark meditations of these men and Pedersen's long run-on sentences might not be everybody's cup of tea. Jim and Tommy were best friends despite divergent backgrounds. But as adults, they struggle with very similar experiences of Weltschmerz. Tommy meets his derelict dad after 40 years and still hates him. At least three times in the novel, characters in the story refuse what life has offered them. Perhaps this is the best one can do in life. By the last pages, both men are in tears. Chance, choices, reversals of fortune, lingering painful memories about families of origin over which we had no control. These are the mysteries of history that two best friends try to decipher. Once again, the author is Per Pedersen. The title of the novel, I Refuse. For movies this week, I review a brand new documentary about the guitarist Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. The title of the movie is called Keith Richards, Under the Influence, 2015.
You really don't learn too much about the person, Keith Richards, in this 80-minute documentary film. There's little about his personal life, his heroin abuse, or his fellow stoners Mick Jagger, Charlie Watts, and Brian Jones. For that bigger picture, there's the recent autobiography by Richards, simply called Life, 2010. What you do learn in this film, though, is probably the most important thing about him, his absolute love of music. Rolling Stone magazine lists Keith Richards as number four on its list of 100 greatest guitarists. What I found most interesting was to hear Richards describe his deep roots in American folk, jazz, blues, and country music, especially the influences of Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters. As you would expect, the film includes some nostalgic archival footage and photos, but, but the best part was to watch Richard's jam sessions down to this day. I watched this film on Netflix streaming, where it debuted the day that Richard's released his first solo album in 20 years, the name of which was called Cross-Eyed Heart and is referenced in the movie. Once again, Keith Richards, Under the Influence, a documentary film. For poetry this week, you posted a poem by a favorite poet of mine. His name is Scott Cairns. Scott Cairns was born in 1954. He's an American poet, memoirist, librettist, and essayist. He's the Catherine Payne Middlebush Chair in English at the University of Missouri. This poem is called Idiot Psalm 10. And yet again the wicked in his arrogance, in his acutely hemmed and tapered sense of self, has found sufficient opportunity to hound the lowly. And yet again, great enabler, the lowly, draped in their accustomed modesty and threadbare suits bereft, have seized the chance to suffer quietly, stage left. Therefore, now again, I puzzle why. O holy silence, why do you appear to bide unheeding some great distance hence? Why, O oh, blithely unapparent, do you remain serenely imperceptible, even to our thinning crew who stand here blinking at the sky? I have no stomach for the newspapers, no heart for the brilliant, flat-screen lit catalog of woes. Though every item flickers, one admits, wondrously produced and duly sponsored, See here, the wicked boasts about his late successes. The grasping man complains that he is cheated of his share, while all the while the self-concerned continue banking largely on your accustomed reticence, and must needs let out their trousers still several measures more, having wagered well. 
Pinched beneath their spinning machinations and all their neat machines, we grind our teeth, yea, even as we sleep. Idiot Psalm 10 by Scott Cairns. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, November 22nd, 2015. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.